Hello and welcome from Good Shepherd Church of Camarillo. We're so glad you're with us. Here's today's message. Let's pray together. God, we declare that together. You alone are worthy. And I pray today that as we hear your word, as we um, hear the words, uh, the account of the Christmas story of when Jesus was born, when God became human and entered into this world, God, that uh, you would capture our hearts with awe and wonder of who you are and all that you've done for us, the salvation that you've given us, and the promise of eternal life that we have. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated, and I'm going to call Tony forward uh, to bring us God's word. So grateful for his willingness to proclaim God's word to us. And at the same time, I'm going to dismiss any kids that want to head over for Kingdom Kids can meet uh, the teachers at the back door there. Thanks, Chad. Uh, Good morning. Um, I just have to tell you, you you know, you get up here and you preach God's word and you, you realize in preparation that you try to bring all these insights and look at all these other angles and things that other people have said and realized and observed, and you find yourself going right back to the text. <laughs> and um, so uh, I want to say that up front. And also, uh, you listen to these songs, these songs we just sang, and you, you feel the words as you're singing them. You hear other people singing them, and you say, man, how much, how much more can I say than that? And so I just ask you to bear with me as I try to share with you what, what, I, what I feel God's asking me to talk to you about today in the, in the words of uh, Luke 2, 1 through 7. Um, and, and also, I just want to say, um, I do a lot of public speaking for work. Um, just this year, I think I, I spoke publicly in, in events across the country 20 times, I don't know, at least a couple times a month. And that is easy for me in, because that's what I do for work and God has prepared me to do that. This is not. Th- this is not easy. This is super humbling. What I do for work, I, I do it and, you know, I, that's my work and I prepare for it and I know it and I'm an expert in that field and, and it comes out. But whenever I'm offered the opportunity a few times a year to do this, it just completely floors me and humbles me and I stand up here like I've never spoken to anybody in the public before. But, but I know that, that's, that that shows me the importance of it. And so I say all this, not to, not to tell you I speak a lot in public, but to make the point to you that because I do, I find myself standing here thinking, oh my God, I, I have to speak about God's word. And it really brings me back to earth big time. Um, so with that out of the way, <laughs> I, I, I want to just start off by uh, talking about two, two examples um, you know, a lot of what, what we're going to talk about today is, is um, God says it's going to happen, and it happens. And that's a big message that I got out of reading. Um, um, well, you can read all of God's Word and get that, but t- today, Luke 2, 1 through 7, that's a big m- message that I got. And also, God is faithful, and, and God is sovereign. I want to um, talk about that today. But two examples that really show that are the parting of the Red Sea, right? The Israelites had left, they, they hey, we're going to get out, Pharaoh finally let us out, we're going to leave Egypt and all the slavery and everything, and um, 
And they're out and they're feeling free and all of a sudden, uh-oh, Pharaoh changes his mind and starts chasing them. And then all of a sudden they give up. <laughs> like, man, what are you doing? You came out here because there weren't graves in Egypt and you're gonna bury us here now. We're gonna die here. What's this all about? And they gave up very quickly. And, and Moses said, no, no, no. God said, you're free. You're gonna be free. And God told Moses, reach your hand out, part the waters and you're gonna go through. And he did, and everybody was astounded. And they were like, whoa, we got away. We got through. And then he covered it, and all of Pharaoh's men, all of his expensive chariots, everybody was drowned in the sea. God said it. It happened. Zacharias and Elizabeth, the piece right before Luke 2 through 1 through 7. Zacharias, the angel said, this is going to happen. And he said, no, my, my wife's too... Too, too far in advanced in years. How, how is this going to happen? How are we going to have a baby? Come on. Um, you got to be kidding. He closed his mouth until the baby was born. And then when, when the baby was born, he opened his mouth. He said, his name's going to be John. I have all this to tell you. I just didn't believe it. God said it was going to happen, and it happened. And that's, that's the big theme that I really felt in reading this, this, this part of Luke. So let's start there with verse 1. Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. And at that time, they referred to the Roman Empire. And um, so let's talk about what a census is. Um, from what I could find, the Babylonians were the first to use it in 4000 BC. And, and they, they started to really understand how much food they would need for all the people that they had around them. Um, the Egyptians took it over. Uh, a few thousand years later, and used it to um, understand how many slaves they would need to build their pyramids, in addition to other helpful uh, ways to use the census. The Romans used it every five years um, for the same reasons, for, for food, for, um, for military needs, but then also for taxation. They said, oh, we can get money out of you to, uh, to use for our empire. Uh, the America, we do it every 10 years and um, for, uh, for the reasons of counting everybody and, and representation in Congress. But in, I don't know when it started, but all I know is that um, for the, the last um, several, well, at least 100 years, it's been tied to funding. So a lot of the funding that a city or a county or state gets is tied to uh, the census results. And the census is so important to that kind of um, situation with funding that uh, it's illegal, basically, to not do the census. You, you can choose to not do it, but if you lie um, uh, or, let's say, you alter what you're saying in there, you can actually, if, you, if they pursue you, you could be fine, the law says. So it's a super, super important thing. And, and back um, just around the time Jesus was going to be born, Caesar Augustus said, we're going to do a census. And so you think of that and you say, okay, this is a very important thing. The Roman Empire is saying we have to do this. It's, uh, it's, it's required. Um, well, it was more than a requirement. In verse 3, you see everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. So it wasn't just something that you could do and say, oh, I know, um, I know Chad, and Chad will represent Good Shepherd, and we'll all tell Chad our information, and Chad will go to the Roman Empire, to Caesar Augustus, and tell him, or somehow communicate by letter, that um, here is the population of Camarillo, and here, here's the information you need. No, it says each to his own city. And to his own city meant you had to go to where your family was from. So uh, 
Isabel was born in Oxnard. That would be pretty close for her, right? Liz was born in Port Wayneme. That's pretty close from here. It's not a, not a big imposition. For me, I was born in Lodi, up near Sacramento, 350 miles away from here. And that, you know, today it's six or five-hour car drive, depending on how fast you drive. But back then it was it was a walk, right? So um, it also says that the um, the custom was it was a man and his family. So even though Isabel and Oxnard were uh, Isabel and Liz were born here in Ventura County, because they're in my family, we'd all have to walk to to Lodi. So just to put that in perspective, um, the um, uh, yeah, yeah, th that's basically, uh, I don't know, 20 miles a day, 350 miles, do the math, what's that? <laughs> long time, 17 hours, yeah, long time, yeah. But bigger than that, all of us have our jobs, all of us have our responsibilities. That means you'd have to stop and say, I'm gonna stop doing what I'm doing and walk and not be able to, like, you couldn't carry, this thing's sticking to this, you couldn't carry your iPad and work remotely while you're walking and, and mail stuff back, right? You had to stop physically what you were doing. And, and, um, and, um, and, and uproot your life and go and register. So this was a huge imposition and it was, a, it was also a form of control and power. Caesar would say, I'm over you, and yeah, there's this King Herod guy too, but I'm over him too. Uh, we're, we're dominating you, we are on top of you. And that, that was, that was the, the tone, that was the, the feeling, that's, that, that's how it felt to live there. Uh, under that kind of rule and under that, you know, you see the word decree, decree means I say it, and it is so. Caesar said, yeah, do this. There's no, there's no talking about this. You're going to do this, and everybody's going to get up and go. So verses 4 and 5, Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was out of the house and family of David. Verse 5, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. So again, this trip from from Nazareth in the north to um, Bethlehem in the south was 70 miles. 70 miles, that's, that's like walking from Camarillo to Disneyland, or if you wanna go north, from Camarillo to Solvang. Just, if, if so everybody's probably been to Disneyland, so imagine that trip that takes you an hour and a half, two hours, depending on traffic, or more, walking there. And you weren't walking by all the things that there are now. There were, oh, you know, I'm tired. Let's go to In-N-Out. Let's get something to eat. Oh, I'm tired. Let's let's stop in at this hotel. It wasn't like that. It was it was actually pretty wild. There's a lot of things I read talked about how rough it was. It was hilly terrain. It was uh, there was forest with wild animals that that could be you could have trouble with. There was also Samaria to the south where. Um, there wasn't a good relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans, and so you might run into trouble there. So it wasn't just this, oh, let's go, and, and we'll, it's cool, we'll, we'll be there, and we'll, we'll just do this. It, it was a huge imposition, it was a huge effort. Um, back in those days, from what I was reading, you, you could walk, they, they walked about 20 miles a day, so they think that the trip took about three and a half days. But think about Mary being in her third trimester at the time, uh, on a donkey, and you know, oh man, 
I'm in my third trimester going on a donkey that's bouncing, even slowly, right? The thing's bouncing and going up and down terrain. Just double it easily. That's going to take seven days. So the thing that was an imposition is now even longer and a bigger imposition, and it's not fun. You're, you're, you're having to do this, something you don't want to do, and you're pregnant, uh, and it's a, it's a, tough, a tough walk. Um, and again, even if you knew the date ahead of time and you could plan for it, or as we do now in our culture, you train for something that you know is going to happen, right? Like, we, we, we're going to go do a charity ride, um, my wife and I in San Diego, uh, on our bikes. We, we train for it, you know, a month or two ahead of time because we can. Uh, they didn't. They were working. They were doing their thing. They had to just get up and go. Because um, there's so many things we take it take for granted today that they just didn't have. They just couldn't do it. But they went. They had to go, right? So going to Bethlehem. I love this. The prophet Micah in Micah 2, 5-2 says, but as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. This was 700 years before Joseph and Mary are going to Bethlehem that now is this forced trip, this big imposition, right? That's why I made the point. It's like, oh man, oh, got to drop everything, go. Well, guess what? God, God said the ruler was going to come from, from, um, from Bethlehem. And the ruler was in Mary, in Mary's womb, and Mary was in Nazareth. So how do we get Mary to Bethlehem? God had a plan. Um, and, and I think it's really interesting that God had this plan the whole time, yet Caesar thinks he's in, in charge, that he has the plan. Caesar who? <laughs> um, and think about Joseph and Mary walking that 70-mile walk to all, the whole time. And that's a long time. Let's say, let's say, you know, round numbers, it took them five or seven days, whatever you want to say, to walk. That's a long time to be thinking about all this and to also know this, that they were aware of this prophecy. Back then, people knew the scriptures. They would have known about the prophecy in Micah 5.2. And the, on top of that, it was confirmed for them because they had an angel come and tell each of them independently, hey, this is going to happen. And you are, this is Jesus. This isn't just on anyone else. This is Jesus. They knew it. They're, they could put that together and say, wow, not only is this, this is a trip we have to take that we didn't want to take, now we want to take and get there because we have Jesus that's going to be born in Bethlehem. Wow. I mean, just imagine when they put the, that together. Verse 6, while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. We know from Luke 1.36 that Elizabeth was six months pregnant, right? And that Mary visited her and stayed there about three months. So when Mary left to go, that's how we know that Mary was in her third trimester when she went to Bethlehem. When, imagine, she, she knows all this. The angel told her this decree comes and now she's like, whoa, I'm going to Bethlehem. Micah 5 2 says, I, the, the ruler's going to come from Bethlehem. I've got Jesus. Wow. She knew it. They, it, was, it was starting to come together. And, and what's also cool is that it wasn't this, like what Hollywood would do today. It wasn't this, oh, Mary just got in and boom, the baby's born and technically he was born in Bethlehem. It worked out. No, it says she was there for, um, while there, the days were completed for her to give birth, meaning that there, she was there in no rush. She got there and there was time 
for her to calmly have the baby in Bethlehem. Um, and I, I just think of God's timing. It, it's just incredible um, that all these different people that don't know each other, that have different agendas, different things going on, that it, he works it all together and makes them all work together, and they don't even know they're working together to make it all happen. Verse 7, And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. I, I, I probably thought about this part the most. It really interested me about the, the, um, the cloths and laying in a manger. And I really, like, whoa, why is that sticking out to me this time so much after all these times I've read this? Let's talk about the wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger. Yeah, you can say that wrapping him in cloths, it was nighttime, it's cold, you know, that's tender, that's affectionate, that's what a mom would do, what a parent would do. Um, there's also people that say now in, in, in the 21st century, oh, you know, we wrap babies in, in cloths because it's a transition from that cozy womb that's so nice and cozy to the world, uh, which in many ways is not, right? But they're, they used to be in this cozy womb, and now they're not. But you've got to make that transition, so you, you wrap them up as, um, in, 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 in claws um, really tightly. But um, what's really wild is, is to me, I, I found that back in those days, it was customary to wrap newborn lambs in claws and lay them in a manger to keep them from thrashing about and getting blemishes. That was really wild to me, like, wow. And here is the lamb, <laughs> the lamb of God, Jesus, wrapped in cloths, laying in manger. I, I just found that parallel incredible. Um, the other thing here is about the cloths. It's, it's also significant because it shows up three times in Luke. First as a fact here in 2.7, and then later to the shepherds when the angel says, and you're going to know because he's going to be wrapped in cloths and laying in a manger in 2.12. So now it's a sign for the shepherds from the angel. And then thirdly, uh, later in that chapter, after the shepherds see it and they say, yes, we saw him. He was in a manger and he was wrapped in cloths. Now it's a testimony. So first it was a fact, hey, here it is. Now it's a sign for you that are going to see him. And then those people that saw it said, whoa, now we testify that that was there. So that, that I don't know, for many times I've read that, and he was wrapped in cloths, and it seemed insignificant to me, but when I looked at it closer, wow, it is not. Um, and then the part about, the parallel about the, the custom of wrapping the, new, the newborn lambs in the cloth to keep them from uh, thrashing, getting, getting blemished. And then lastly, just all, through all of this, I mean, yeah, I, I, can't, I can't do justice to saying how awesome it is that Jesus was born. We just sang several songs talking about it way better than I ever could. All the words that we just sang do it way more justice than I ever could. And obviously, that, that is the hope that we all have, right? Um, so I just want to focus on this, this last piece here that God is sovereign. And, and, you know, we say that a lot. And as a Christians, we, we talk about the word sovereign. But, so I looked it up, and I wanted to make sure I really understood what that means. When we say God is sovereign, you know, and, and, and you see a lot of Christians talk that way, right? Yeah, well, God's sovereign. Okay, what does sovereign mean? It means supreme jurisdiction or power, free, independent, autonomous, supremely excellent, great, exalted. God is all of those, right? And, and I, 
there's a definition for government. Go government leaders can have that, that definition applied to them too because they are in charge of a government, an area. But God is over all of them, right? God is the supreme over all of them. So even though a leader on the wor in the world can, can say, hey, Tony, I have those definitions applied to me because I am a leader, I'm a sovereign, I'm a king of a nation, yeah, but God is the king of kings. He is sovereign over everything, everyone. And I, and I just, uh, when, I, when I looked at that definition, I, I, I mean, I know God's sovereign, but I wanted to understand how, what it means in terms of how other people think they're sovereign. God is, is the sovereign. Uh, and, you know, again, we can count on God's plan to happen. Nothing will stop it. There's a number of verses in the Bible that say that, but nothing will thwart God's plans. But I love this one in Proverbs 19.21. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. And how true is that, that um, a lot of things that you can reflect on in your own life say, man, this is, this is what I... I want to do, or you might think that God wants you to do it, but if God isn't in it, if it isn't what God wants for you, it's not going to happen, or if it does, it's not going to be blessed, and you'll know it, right? I could, I could tell you tons of stories in my life about things that I did that were not in God's will that he didn't bless. Yeah, he let them happen because we have free will, but they weren't blessed and they weren't fruitful, but the things that you can see that were blessed and are fruitful and you know that God's in them, you just say, wow, wow. Um, what, one personal example I wanna give you, and my wife always, she's gonna hit me at home um, because I'm gonna tell you this example, but I'm telling you it's a real example of God being in it, about God's will. Um, Isabel was small, and Liz had this serious surgery to go through, and it was really super serious, and I came home from the hospital that night, and I'm like, whoa, oh my God. I don't know what's gonna happen to my wife. And I just said, I was making Isabel's lunch. I'll never forget it, I'll never forget the spot. It's right now where we have a coffee, coffee maker. I was making her lunch on the counter, and I just said, God, don't, don't let her die. Please, don't let her die. In, in like a second and a half, it, I can't even imagine the time, but it was like that. I felt this peace and power and force go right through me. And it wasn't scary. It wasn't anything fearful. It, it, was, it, it, it shook me up and I went, oh, wow. Oh, wow. And, and I just felt this peace telling me, it's okay. It's okay. I went and sat in the chair and held her a little dog and cried like a little girl because I knew it was going to be okay. It was like this peace. It was unbelievable. I, I, I can't describe it more than that. The next day we go to the hospital and we're sitting there. The doctor comes right to me, even though there were others with us. He came right to me and he looked at me and he says, I don't know how to explain it. I thought I was going to find this. I thought I was going to find that. We didn't. She's fine. I can't explain it. I went, oh my God. Wow. So, God was in that. God told me, it's going to be okay. And it was. And that's, that's one of the biggest things here. Yeah, Jesus was born. We should be totally screaming about that with joy for all the obvious reasons. But the other message here is that God says it. God is in it. It's going to happen. 
And I, I just give you that example as, as a personal, a personal um, testimony of that. So lastly here, um, we saw that these Bible verses today, we, we, we saw in these Bible verses today that although Caesar and King Herod thought they were in supreme and thought they were in control, and, they, and even though they treated the Jews harshly, God's plan to bring the Savior of the world to Bethlehem prevailed. Jesus was sent to us just as God promised throughout all the prophecies. That prophecy was, was completed. He's here. He's with us. He died for us. All the rest of it, we, we have every reason to be joyful. Uh, but also, God says it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Let's pray. Lord God, uh, thank you for letting me stand up here today and have these people listen to my, my, broken, my broken words, uh, trying to explain how awesome you are, how, how unbelievably faithful and true you are, despite us, despite our free will that you give us. Thank you for sending Jesus to the world as you said you would. Thank you for doing it in such a beautiful and humble way. You didn't go to the famous people, the popular people. You went to the very least of these. You went to people like us. Thank you for for letting us know this, for letting us be able to celebrate it, for letting us just rest in the truth and joy of Jesus. In your name, amen.